Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the Bama Beat Podcast, a podcast brought to you by Wickles Pickles and Home Field Apparel. I am Brett Hudson, and I'm joined by Clint Lamb. Clint, how's it going, man? It's going good, brother. It's going good. We're, we're on schedule this week, so it's, it's a great start. We are. We are. So uh, uh, speaking of that schedule, most of you that have been listening all season long know by now that uh, typically we, uh, we do a recap of the previous game on Monday and a preview of the upcoming game on Tuesday. So we're, we're obviously going to be looking into the matchup with LSU in this episode. But I have something super, super important, Clint. I have breaking news for, for the podcast. Are you sitting down? Are you prepared? I am prepared. I'm ready. I got tweeted at by the Royal Protector of the Trust Crown. Did you really? This morning. This morning. So I've, I've gotten in this thing where I take my computer with me to the gym when I go in the morning. Um, and sometimes I'll just get on the bike and I'll try to knock out some work while I'm on the bike. And I'm doing that this morning. And I get a tweet from Edward Moses Jr., that it reads totally wrong, but carry on. Now, it's in reply to the tweet I had with the link to the podcast we did yesterday, in which I said, shout out the royal protector of the trust crown. So we don't know if Mr. Edward Moses Jr. is tweeting his disapproval at my use of the phrase royal protector of the trust crown. I doubt it. I doubt it if he's tweeting his disapproval at something that was said about Dylan Moses on the podcast, if he listened to the podcast, that's probably the case, but um, not, not my place to say where I come down. I want to know the answer because I know very little about Edward Moses jr. Okay. I, I think I know three things. I know he is a lawyer in Baton Rouge. I know that he is Dylan Moses's father. And I know, based on the one thing of his that I've read, which is the the letter that was posted on Dylan Moses' Instagram account that started this whole thing, is that he has a unique way of using the English language. And I think I want to keep it at that. To me, he is the royal protector of the trust crown, and I just want to keep him that way. Well, I want to keep I, him. And, and, and I, I want to step in, too, and at least – Say I, I don't remember if I because I talked about this a little bit on the uh, the radio show that I do yesterday as well. Just because I'm trying to, you know, I've seen people coming at Dylan Moses for you know what I feel like is very unfair reasons. When you go back and watch that Auburn game, I went back and watched Dylan Moses again because there's a guy on uh, on Twitter. I'm not going to say his name, but you know he didn't feel like he played very well, and I'm like, okay, let, let me go see where you know maybe I approached this with a uh, you know from the very first snap of the game, Dylan Moses looked or made the tackle, he shut it a block, he made the tackle, and I thought, okay, Dylan, that's good first play for you, brother. Uh, brother. And from that point forward, maybe I had this perception that he played better than he did. But what I found watching back again is I, I stand by what I said, which was he looked better against the run, and that he, you know, uh, I just don't feel like there was a ton of opportunities for him to make a lot of plays in this game just based off game script. Auburn wasn't banging it between the tackles like they would have probably typically have done had they had a fully healthy offensive line, had uh, Tank Bigsby been fully healthy. So, you know, I stand by what I say, but it, what I was doing yesterday on the podcast was purely speculating. And if I didn't make that clear, I made sure I do recall that I made that very clear on the radio. I have no idea the the the, the Mose, Moses family dynamic and how it works. And so maybe it was kind of unfair. Uh, for me to go ahead and put speculation out there. It's just, you know, based off of how, you know, it, it was like Dylan Moses puts out this statement that he's coming back. Everybody's super excited. And his dad kind of put out this, uh, you know, official statement saying, hold on a minute. Uh, and from that point forward, I'm like, okay, his dad's probably very involved. That's very understandable. So if, if you know, I'm not trying to hop on here and say a bunch of bad things about people. I was actually trying to defend the Moses family. And it had, it, you know, Dylan has not, I'm going to, 
continue to put it out there. Up to recently, I think his play has started to pick up, but I thought that he had played you know, pretty poorly at times. I don't think it's as bad as some people have made it out to be. But And so I was trying to figure out, okay, what is it? Is it just that he's kind of still getting back? It takes a while to get back from an ACL injury. It might just be as simple as that. But I was trying to kind of – maybe I dove too far into the speculation train, which is what Cecil is always – uh, super against. He does not like to speculate on anything very much, and this is probably the reason why. But you know, uh, I understand. I like the fact that we we speculation. This is a possible reason why this is going on, and if this is a response to that from from Edward Moses, then I appreciate it because what it does is it closes the chapter on that book, and now we know. Okay, that's not the reason. You know, sometimes these things just the guys don't play. You know, well that happens sometimes, and he might be still rusty. So. Just want to go ahead and put that out there. I know that that's not the point of this podcast. I had no idea that that happened, but I guarantee you, uh, surely to goodness, he's not upset with you. Um, I think that's we, we've both said royal protector of the trust crown is an awesome phrase that we love. So that's more of a shout out. So I don't think that's what upset him. My guess would it would it was probably my speculation, and I would just want to go on record and say it was speculation. I don't know anything in particular from an outsider's perspective. But uh, I appreciate him giving us an input, and I wish more people would do that. When someone speculates, if it's not true, uh, it's not meant as disrespect. I was actually trying to figure out, you know, reasons to to kind of help, you know, Dylan out as far as potential reasons. But we are where we are, so you know that that's a very interesting, very interesting thing. I had no idea that happened, Brett. Well, well, anyway, I mean, it just happened this morning, so um, it's not like it, it happened shortly after the podcast dropped. But in, in any event, my week has been made because I got tweeted at by the Royal Protector of the Trust Crown. So I'm 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 living my best life. And I am going to Baton Rouge this this weekend. So it's it's entirely possible that I uh unlikely obviously, but possible that I like run into him somewhere and um we have a conversation. I get to know him more deeply than I currently do. But right now I know him as the Royal Protector of the Trust Crown and I I enjoy that thoroughly. Um I don't know if it would cause like issues or trademark issues for home field to print Royal protector of the trust crown on a sweatshirt or a hoodie of some I'd kind. If they did, I'd buy it. Absolutely. Uh, home field apparel uh, is a licensed collegiate apparel company with unique logos that you're very unlikely to find on any other piece of clothing that you've seen. It's all at homefieldapparel.com. It's over a hundred schools. On there, Alabama's included. Uh, if you have family members on the opposite side of Auburn, is included. Um, Tennessee is not on there yet, so if you have friends or family on on that side, you're you're out of luck. There's some Mississippi State gear there. There's Florida State, Baylor, a bunch of Midwestern schools because that's where their their roots are. They're based in Indianapolis, so Indiana, Michigan. Um, I think Michigan State is on there. Um, a bunch of schools is is the point. So, if you're looking to do some Christmas shopping, where'd that come from? Hmm. If you're looking to do some Christmas shopping, and you've got a fan of a school out there, check HomeFieldApparel.com because you're going to find something they don't have and they can't find anywhere else. Use the promo code. Actually, I don't know if anyone's tried yet. I know the Black Friday promo code is over. So I'm curious if the regular promo code of Bama Beat will still get you 20% off your first order. I hope it does, because uh, I know y'all are doing some Christmas shopping out there. So go to Bama, go to homefieldapparel.com, use the promo code Bama Beat for 20% off your first order. Whether it's Alabama gear for yourself, Alabama gear for a family member or a friend if you're doing some Christmas shopping or in other schools' uh, gear. They've got some really cool stuff on there for, like, Colorado School of Mines. And I'm trying to think of some of the other random schools on there, like Marquette um, and Butler and Creighton. So if you're if you're just kind of a college sports nerd like I am and you don't mind wearing stuff that isn't of your of your favorite school, they're going to have some really cool stuff on there. Hawaii is, is another good one. Homefieldapparel.com, thanks to them for presenting – the Bama Beat podcast. Now let's look ahead to this LSU team that I don't know if there's any way around it. Clint, they're just kind of bad. Real, real bad. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and what's unfortunate is I think this team could have been better uh, had Miles Brennan not gotten hurt. 
And, and had they not lost like every pass catcher to opt out or injuries? Oh, uh, I'll tell you what. And but see, here's the thing: I, if if LSU would have been better, then I, I'm not entirely sure Terrace Marshall opts out. So I think they still have at least that top option. Um, and and you know, I don't. I think Jamar Chase he made his decision way before Miles Brennan was a thing. Uh, you know, at least on a national level, but. Yeah, it's, it's super unfortunate because the way that I kind of approached this game, I was like, Alabama's offense is going to pretty much have its way with LSU's defense. But when when this game fi- finally rolls around on the schedule, I fully anticipate that LSU's offense with, you know, Miles Brennan and the way they like to sling the ball around and things like that. They have, you know, Terrace Marshall and some other weapons in the passing game, including Eric Gilbert and some other guys. I thought this might be a nice little litmus test to see how much the the defense has really improved. And unfortunately, uh, we're going to get a true freshman quarterback, whichever way they go, whether it's Mac Johnson or TJ Finley. And it's it's going to be yet another test where we think Alabama's defense is improving. They've showed a ton of signs that is pointing in that direction, but there's no true way to know, and we probably won't know until Alabama uh, faces Florida in the SEC championship game. Right, and what what intrigues me about this LSU team most is they can't run the ball either. Like if you if you look at the adventure they've had offensively this year, where Jamar Chase and Terrace Ferguson have opted out. Uh, Jamar Chase did so before the season even began. Um, so so you got that to deal with. Racy McMath is is hurt. He missed the Texas A and M game. Ed Ogeron said he's unlikely to play against Alabama. And then, as you mentioned, the the quarterback issues where Miles Brennan has been being groomed on that campus for like 15 years, and <laughs> he finally gets the starting job and then uh, gets hurt. So you're you're throwing freshmen in the fire there, or, or, or underclassmen in the fire there. You can see where the passing game would struggle. LSU's supposed to always have running backs, right? They're supposed to always have some dudes that can maul on the offensive line, and, and they don't have that right now. I, I looked this up yesterday for, for a story that is on TideSports.com right now. LSU's leading rusher is Tyreon Davis-Price with 367 yards. LSU is one of just two teams in the SEC that has yet to produce a 400-yard rusher. Could you name the other? Say that again. Their leading rusher has not... 400 rushing yards this year. LSU is one of them. Who's the other? Uh, if you think about it for from a scheme perspective for a minute. Yeah, Mississippi, Mississippi State. Mississippi State, right? Like, if that makes sense. They're an air raid yeah. team. That makes sense. Everyone else in the SEC that is trying to run the football has produced at least one running back, in some cases two, that have run for 400 yards this year. LSU has not. Uh, Davis Price has run for 367. John Emery Jr. has run for 292. They're combined for just five touchdowns this year. Com- and look at look at the SEC's leaders in rushing. I'm, I'm pulling up the leaderboard right now. There are nine guys in the SEC that have run for five rushing touchdowns this year. And that's what LSU has gotten from their top two rushers um Ole Miss has two guys that have run for five or more touchdowns this year Jerry on Ely has nine Snoop Connor has six and LSU can't get that from their top two rushers it's just it's just real weird to look at these LSU rushing numbers right now because we just don't see this kind of rushing ineptitude from an LSU team like ever well and and to me that is the big problem. I think they have kind of a, a combination of factors that's really affecting them offensively. And, and one of them being, uh, you know, you got true freshmen, regardless of who you look at. And mostly it's been TJ Finley, but the one game that they were able to make everything. And if you're going to have a true freshman out there, like a TJ Finley, things to be going right around them. 
And and the one game that we saw that was the South Carolina game. The run game was actually excellent in that particular matchup. The defense was doing some great things, uh, you know, pick sixes and things like that. You had the uh, return for a touchdown. Special teams was helping out. And T.J. Finley looked fantastic. He got to play off of all that stuff. There wasn't a lot of pressure. And he looked like a future superstar. And then, you know, the very next week, they take on Auburn. And Auburn took away the run game. They took away, you know, they had some success offensively, didn't allow the big plays on special teams. And T.J. Finley was awful. And kind of since then, his play has been – you know, up and down, mostly down, to be honest. But against Texas A&M this past week, where you you start including some of those other factors and not being able to get the stuff going around T.J. Finley, and he goes nine for twenty-five, a thirty-six percent completion percentage for one hundred and eighteen yards, and and had an uh, an interception return for a touchdown, and you know, it ultimately ended up getting pulled, much like he did in the Auburn game, and so now. Whoever ends up starting at quarterback is not going to have the team's number one receiver, true bona fide number one receiver in Terrace Marshall because he chose to opt out. Not going to get into that, but it is absolutely quitting on your team, even if it is understandable. But where he kind of ranks in the SEC as far as statistically, number three receiver in receiving yards at 731, number three in touchdown catches with 10. The next highest player on LSU squad, by the way, is Eric Gilbert with uh, only two and then he's sixth in the SEC in receptions. He was actually fourth in the SEC in touchdown catches last year with 13, despite having Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson both going for double digits as well, with Jamar Chase going for a stupid amount with 20. Um, but that's the kind of player that LSU's offense is now going to be without, and we've already seen how limited it has been. So the one kind of saving grace, in my opinion, there's been a couple of, of splashes there from some different guys. I think Eric Gill was going to be a great player, but the one thing about this LSU offense that was a constant was Terrace Marshall, and now he's no longer in the fold. Does LSU have an obvious or a, uh, what's the right word, a trustworthy option? offensively to go to now because because as we discussed Terrace Marshall was the really the one productive piece of this offense that you could rely on week in and, and week out because they don't have that in the run game clearly and Eric Gilbert is incredibly talented but he's a tight end it's uh, I don't want to say it's impossible to run your passing offense through a tight end but it's atypical for for a lot of reasons um I just don't know where LSU comes up with points in in this game, and I've I've said it for several weeks now. Alabama's a shootout team. They they just keep putting up scoring drives, waiting for you to blink until you look up at the scoreboard and realize you're down 17, and Bama's offense is too good to let you make that lead up. So I just I don't know how LSU doesn't blink. In this, they don't have the offense to keep up with it. Totally, totally, regardless of LSU's defense and its struggles throughout the course of the year, and, and Alabama's defense and its struggles early in the year, which it, it may be improving on now in the in the back half. We'll we'll get to all of that in a second. I just don't know where LSU's offense finds the points to keep up with Alabama. Well, and that is the million-dollar question, right? Because, you know, Eric Gilbert's going to have to be a major part of it. He's the leading receiver uh, statistically, and I guess he's not a receiver, but receiving yardage, he's leading the team in, in pretty much, I guess, every statistical category. You know, Kayshawn uh, Booty, uh, Boutte, however you say it, um, you know, he, he's a guy that they're probably going to need to rely on a lot more. He's another true freshman, was a five-star guy coming out of high school things this year. Number one role and from opposing uh, defenses, but he's going to have to. And and on top of everything that you're talking about, you're also talking about you know what you know the the motivational factors for Alabama. And and Nick Saban has talked about you know the revenge factor. That's not something that he really likes to push. Uh, but it's something that he believes, you know, a lot of the players kind of buy into on their own. What you're talking about last year being the first time. Uh, you know, it, it kind of snapped an eight-game losing streak for LSU, dating all the way back to the 2011 national championship rematch between Alabama and LSU. You got the uh, the comments from Ed Orgeron following last year's game, uh, both in the locker room and kind of publicly. You got the LSU players who were running up to the recruits up in the stands after the game and telling them, you know, they needed to come to to, to LSU and things like that. There's so. 
I know Alabama fans have had this game circled since last season, but do you think that's going to actually end up playing into the minds of Alabama players and making them kind of want to make another statement to kind of assert that they are the the dominant force in the SEC and LSU, you know, regardless of what we think, but kind of reestablishing the, themselves as a, you know, second-tier program compared to Alabama? Well, some of the social media presence from the first game that got uh, postponed certainly suggests that, right? Like Byron Young out here tweeting, don't run, and then retweeting an old quote of, of Ed Ogeron's. Um, and even Saban mentioned this himself, that he isn't one to – he said this on Monday, by the way, that Saban isn't one to use the – revenge angle as motivation himself but he he recognizes that players are likely to to do so so I I think it's undeniable that it's going to be a factor for for Alabama in this game I I think we're we're both getting around the point that we don't think it's going to matter all all that much just based on the the quality of of both teams and in this game but I do think it will be a factor and if it does show itself, I, I wonder if it shows itself in some uh, bleep talking, so to speak. Maybe some some celebrating that happens after touchdowns. Um, little things like that. Like when, when Devontae scored that decisive touchdown against Georgia and was given some DB the absolute business yeah. in the end zone. That, that's kind of what I have in mind. Yeah. No, I'm right there with you. Uh, I, I don't think – I think it'll be more so after the game where, you know, players and stuff are saying, you know, they took some of the stuff from last year personally, and that's why, you know, you're not really going to say too much beforehand because you never know. Um, the, I, I've told people on social media that the main thing that concerns me for Alabama because there's not a whole lot you can point to that really should be concerning as far as X's and O's. And it's just the fact that absolutely nobody is giving LSU a chance. Uh, nobody. I don't even think people in that, I mean, Terrace Marshall, in my opinion, probably wasn't giving LSU much of a chance, which is why he was totally cool, you know, bouncing, <laughs> uh, you know, like I, it, most of the time it's like, Oh, it's the locker room against everybody. I don't even think the locker room is fully on board with the idea that they're going to, you know, even though they're welcoming Alabama to Baton Rouge, that they're going to be able to hang around in this game. And and when everything is against you like that, sometimes when you got nothing to lose, you come out there, you, you, you're pulling stuff out of your tail, you're making stuff happen, you're playing really loose, and you end up, you know, I, I would tell you right now, Alabama doesn't have to win this football game. That's something else that we need to address, right? Uh, they can lose. They're still going to be going to the SEC championship, and if they win the SEC championship, they're still going to the college football playoff. They make their their path a little bit more difficult because if they lose in the SEC championship, then they could still potentially get in the playoff. So you know, and if you lose this game to LSU and lose that, you're done. So it's not like Alabama's like, oh, we can totally lose this. But at the same time, they're not approaching this as a must-win game, and you can save a season. You know, from LSU's perspective, if you beat Alabama being as terrible as you are right now and kind of throw, you know, not necessarily throw a wrench to the point where they don't get in the playoff, but it's going to make Alabama look really bad to lose to a, you know, three and four LSU squad that has just been tore up by people recently. Um, You know, that is a factor to at least address. I don't think it's going to matter. Alabama typically doesn't have those kind of things happen to them, but it's worth bringing up because it's the only thing really that I think plays into LSU's favor right now. It really might be the only thing that captivates the casual viewers interest because this game is uh, unfortunately going to be at seven o'clock or whatever time on CBS. It's the night. It's the nighttime CBS game that they, they flex into the, the evening for an SEC football doubleheader and, uh, I, I understand the the broader appeal of it for people who aren't really paying close attention to the college football season, and they kind of just let the TV networks and the rankings tell them what one or two games to watch over a weekend while they're doing something else, probably. So I understand the the mass appeal to that market because you know people are, are clearly going to remember last year's game, which was. Such a huge deal. The president was in Tuscaloosa in the stadium for it. And that, that game kind of took on a life of its own, not dissimilar to the game of the century in, in 2011. So I can understand where the rematch of that game could could captivate some 
some people who don't know any better. But I think they will quickly realize what they signed up for, and a little bit of uh, an edge from from the tide might might be what keeps people engaged in in this because. Uh, I think both you and I are, are of, of similar mind, as we often are, in that this game will not be all that competitive from a scoring margin perspective. Yeah, I completely agree with you. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We're not completely done with the LSU talk. I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about it on the other side of the break. And then, you know, Brett's got us a little bit of math, you know, because who doesn't love, you know, some good math? Uh, going to throw some stuff out there as far as records go. <laughs> Uh, I'm certainly looking forward to it. I've been waiting on this for a couple of weeks, and you know, every time that I've had to miss out on a podcast or something due to uh, you know uh, other things, I've been disappointed. So I'm looking forward to hearing it. I know the listeners are looking forward to it. So we'll get to that on the other side of the break. This is the Bama Beat Podcast, brought to you by Wickles Pickles and Home Field Apparel. Hey, Alabama fans! The best way to unwind and chill out during these busy, always on the go type of days is to reach for the one beer that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. It's important to relax during the holidays, so crack open a mountain cold Coors Light and chill out. Now that we're getting closer to the critical parts of the college football season, it's important to make sure your refrigerator is stocked with cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged Coors Light. In fact, the mountains on the can will turn blue when chilled to perfection. So when you want to hit the reset button, reach for the beer that's made to chill, Coors Light. You can even have Coors Light delivered by going to get.coorslight.com. As the games get hotter and hotter, reach for the one beer that's made to chill, Coors Light. Celebrate responsibly, Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And we're back on the Bama Beat Podcast, brought to you by Wickles Pickles and Home Field Apparel. Wickles Pickles, they're giving you pickles, relishes, okras. There's a sandwich spread. I have a jar of it in the fridge right now, and much more, even some apparel to kind of blend the two worlds of Wickles Pickles and and Home Field Apparel. Go to WicklesPickles.com to see all of their products. They are available in the pickle aisle of your local store. It's a family recipe that's 90 years in the making. Y'all, they know what they're doing. They know how to give you that acidity, that bite that you get from your pickle, while also bringing you the perfect amount of heat that you need to to spice up whatever you got going for you. So go to WicklesPickles.com to learn more about their products, and hopefully you can find them in the pickle aisle of your local store. Wickles Pickles, let's get wicked. I can't help but think that the narrative for this LSU defense was kind of set for it when they did what they did against Mississippi State to start the season when Bo Pelini was grossly unprepared for Mississippi State's air raid and completely unwilling to adjust to it. Mississippi State completed 60% of their passes for 623 yards and five touchdowns, averaged 104 yards per attempt. Obviously, Mississippi State has not come anything close to that level of success since they averaged 10.4 yards per attempt against LSU before the Egg Bowl. The best performance they'd had on a yards per attempt basis was averaging 6.5 against Georgia, uh, another kind of shocking offensive display from, from Mississippi State given what they'd been in between LSU and Georgia. That's neither here nor there. To bring it back to LSU, their defense, the the narrative for it was kind of set then. It's gotten better. Granted, I don't know that it, it could have gotten any worse since then, but it's gotten better since then. I still wouldn't qualify it as good. I, I think there is a way where you can look at it and think that it's gotten better. Like when you look at giving up 632 yards to Mississippi State, 586 yards to Missouri, and 506 yards to Auburn. You can look at giving up 443 yards to Arkansas and 267 yards to Texas A&M as improvements, which I guess they are. But on the one hand, Arkansas only ran 53 plays, so that's averaging 8.36 yards per play, which is actually better than what Mississippi State did by a very, very small margin. But uh, all the same. So the the Arkansas game you can kind of take into context based on based on the number of plays and then Texas A and M. I think uh, I think our listeners are well aware of what we think of Texas A and M's offensive limitations just based on the 
the Jimbo Fisher way of life and how they do things from a tempo perspective. So that's not really an offense that is based around generating big plays like the offenses at Mississippi State and Missouri and Auburn are, three teams that pretty well scorched uh, LSU. So, yes, this this defense looked better against Texas A&M. I don't think it necessarily translates to playing Alabama, though. That's exactly my takeaway. Uh, you know, the, this this defense against Texas A&M showed some signs of life. Uh, and when you look at LSU's defense – They've lost. They lost a ton from last year. They lost some guys. Tyler Shelvin, you know that big body presence on the interior defensive line that would have made a huge difference this year. Uh, but you know when you look, they still have some really good pieces. You know, especially in the secondary. You know, uh, Derek Stingley Jr. hadn't had quite the season that he had last year. Granted, he doesn't get tested very often. Um, you know, Cordell Flott, he didn't, he had some, you know, up and down play against Texas A&M, but mostly up. I thought he played pretty decently. Uh, uh, Elias Ricks, the true freshman five-star corner. They, so we've got bodies there. They got, um, you know, what's his name? Uh, the, uh, Jacoby Stevens, the safety. I wanted to call him, uh, Jordan Stevens, but it's, uh, excuse me, Jacoby Stevens. So you got a more physical linebacking presence there at safety, you know, the second level, you know, you're talking about um, Jabril Cox. I thought that he's been extremely impressive this year after coming over from North Dakota State, especially in coverage. He's an excellent coverage linebacker. Uh, so, you know, th- that's there's some likable pieces really at all three levels because then B.J. Ojolari, the true freshman uh, edge player uh, who leads the team in sacks, he's actually been, in my opinion, one of the be- best LSU defenders this season. Uh, and And so with that, there's there's obvious signs of improvement under Bo Pelini, but I don't think it's going to matter. Is the problem? You know that we've seen much more formidable defenses that had a lot more stuff figured out, who looked very pedestrian or you know in, in some cases just terrible against Alabama's offense. And so to think that they're going to be able to consistently stop, you know, Mac Jones, Najee Harris, Devonte Smith, John Mechie, now Jaleel Billingsley, you know, just this combination of guys. Even if it is in Baton Rouge, I just don't really see that happening. Um, so it's it's just there's a reason that this line started out, you know, somewhere in the mid to high twenties, depending on the book that you look at, and it's climbed into the low thirties. And I think, you know, I, I said as soon as I saw that the line was that Alabama opened at like twenty five or twenty five and a half, according to one person's book. I don't remember what the book was, but I immediately was like, it's gonna before Saturday, it's gonna get up to thirty or thirty one. I guarantee it. And within yeah, a matter of hours. Talk that. Let's talk about that for a second. Did that surprise you? Because Bama was, what, 23, 22, 23 against all, and then 24 to 25 against LSU. And we saw, and not that individual head-to-head results to determine all, uh, but we saw what Auburn did to LSU. So uh, I thought that spread was kind of interesting, especially – when you take into consideration that home field advantage is not what it typically is. So you could probably explain a little bit of it by giving Bama home field advantage against Auburn while giving their opponent home field advantage against LSU. But again, we're in, we're in the pandemic, right? You're not loading tiger stadium with 90,000 super drunk Louisianans, just like you're not loading Bryant Denny stadium with 100,000 slightly less drunk Alabama fans, right? You're not creating the same environment, thus you're not creating the same type of home field advantage. So since you can't really account for that making a six-point swing when, when all factors are considered, I thought that line was strangely skinny. And that that's, you know, Vegas, with, and a lot of people, this gets lost on people sometimes, but what Vegas is doing when they set a line is it's not necessarily that they think that X team is going to beat X team by this amount of points. They're trying to dictate the line based off of getting even money on both sides because where Vegas wins is juice. Uh, and, and so they want a line that's going to have 
you know, as much as possible equal parts as far as people betting on both sides, which is why I thought this line was extremely strange. Because if you'd have asked me going in, I would have said 30 to 31. Now, once I said that, within a matter of hours, it was already up there. And so I guarantee you it's probably going to be in the 34 range or so, 33 and a half or something by the time that Saturday kicks off. And so I thought it was weird because what happened is, is, is even at the 30 to 31 range, there, I still think a majority of the money is going to be on Alabama for all those factors that we've been talking about this entire time. And so them setting it at you know that low, all of the early money, every bit of the early money was on Alabama. So they just they already tipped the scales heavily on getting a ton of bets on Alabama's side. And then if it starts to even out at some point, at that point it's even, but you've already kind of screwed your and, and it's you know, the in the and maybe if, if uh Vegas knows something and they think LSU's gonna keep it close, then you know, maybe that's you know that's where Vegas can win and benefit. But I just I doubt that. They typically want it to be you know, uh, that nice little comfortable in the middle spot. So I completely agree with you. I thought that was very strange. Uh, and, and I don't know, uh, maybe they thought people were going to look at this early on and say, this is Alabama LSU and it's in Baton Rouge. Uh, we're absolutely taking LSU, but it's just, I don't, I, if it hadn't worked out that way. I know that. I mean, Alabama could, I, I don't know. I, I did think it was extremely strange. And I think you make an excellent point there. I love that in what you just said about the books liking LSU to keep it close, keeping it close in this context is keeping it within 25 points. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's where, that's where we are with, with both programs. That's where we are. You're absolutely right. That is that in a nutshell, it it kind of represents, and and it's crazy because you think about where this was at last year, it was just, and and this is why I, I don't like, and I I think LSU's program ultimately still ends up heading in the correct direction. You know they're recruiting well. The massive turnover that they had, your your quarterback who you thought was going to be the kind of the guy, and he was actually looking like the guy. Nobody was going to really replace Joe Burrow, but at least you know kept you relevant. He gets hurt, so there's just been a ton of factors that have worked against LSU this year, but. This is why I don't like people, you know, sticking that flag in the ground after one year and saying, you know, this is the next dynasty. People try to do it when Georgia went to the national championship and uh, Kirby Smarts was it, was it his second year, I think, or maybe it was his third year, one of the two. But you know, when it, people were already ready to say, okay, Georgia's going to have the next dynasty, and you know, Clemson, at least people what kind of waited until that became a thing. You know, them being in the college football playoff every year, especially after the second one with Dabo Sweeney, people started to say, okay, this is actually turning into a dynasty, and I'm I'm kind of fine with it at that point. At least I can believe that it's heading in that direction. But with what LSU did last year, which was nothing short of incredible to automatically stick that flag in the ground and say they're the next dynasty. You know, Ed Orgeron's incredible. He's recruiting extremely well. You know, this is going to be the downfall of Alabama. Alabama's recruiting at a a level that we haven't seen from them in several years. They're the number one team in the country. By far look like the number one team in the country. Where in the world people are – and I understand everybody's ready to kind of kill the dynasty anytime things, you know, look like they're going wrong. And I'm not saying that Alabama is necessarily guaranteeing they're going to win a national championship this year, but it's just, it's very strange how people are so ready to be done with something, you know, it was the same thing with the Patriots and, and, and it's just, it's strange to me how that all works, but these programs compared to a year ago, a calendar year ago, just in much different places. And it's actually kind of wild to think about how far LSU has fallen, even though, we should have seen it coming to some degree, and we did. I mean, uh, anybody that was out there, you know, touting and saying that they felt like that LSU was going to finish with the second best record in the SEC West and they were going to be competitive and stuff, it's like there was nothing on paper, absolutely nothing. And I understand paper is not where you win or lose games, but there was nothing that was pointing in that direction. You're talking about losing coordinators, record setting quarterbacks, running backs, you know, all these players that went to the NFL all this production lost. It's like, well, I mean, I, I get that they've recruited well, but how in the world do you think they're going to still, uh, there, there was going to be an obvious drop off and especially in an all sec season, I never really understood it, but here we are. Uh, I guess it really doesn't matter at this point, but yeah, the, the, the state of these two programs is, is, is something else. So I have two thoughts on the, on the dynasty thing. One people, 
people like to say that dynasties are bad for a sport. Like people like to say that that the Patriots being what they are is bad for the NFL. And and when the Yankees were were doing their thing like to the max, that it was bad for baseball or, or whatever. And the reality is people hate watch dynasties. People people watch dynasties whether they're enjoying them as an invested fan or they're just dying to watch them go away because I think I think Alabama fans experience this anytime Alabama even comes close to losing much less when they actually do they suddenly become the epicenter of college football because everyone is tuning to their televisions to whatever channel Bama's on because they want to see Bama lose like people watch dynasties for better or for worse, you watch a dynasty because you're a fan of the team and you're soaking up this excellence for every second you can get it, or you're watching the dynasty because you want to watch it fall. So people who say that dynasties are bad for the sport as a whole, don't uh, you're not really factoring in the television view aspect of this, which in pretty much every sport is one of the top deciding factors because that's how these sports make their make their money. The, the one counterexample I would give to that is I, I personally argue that Tiger Woods has elements of being bad for golf. Like he, he's obviously created a huge bubble of money in, in the PGA Tour that would not have existed without him. But I do think towards the end of his first wave of prominence, like in the late 2000s when the, the whole – Elon thing went down I think towards the end of that it reached a point where it, it got bad for golf but that's a that's a completely different uh different subject the, the second thought I have on dynasty is I don't know why you keep talking about uh an Alabama dynasty because it died in like 2015 in Oxford remember <laughs> yeah yeah for the fourth the time by that point yeah for like six years now yeah so. it, yeah it, and that it, it's funny every time you see that it's like you, you got to see a lot more. You know, it, it, it's the same way as the thing with LSU for me, the, the opposite way. It's like it, I need to see more than LSU recruiting well and winning one national championship with a, you know, historically good team to, to deem them a, a dynasty. And I need to see a lot more than Alabama going two years without winning a national championship and, 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 you know, but still playing in one and granted getting dominated in that one and then missing the college football playoff for the first time. It's like, yeah, those are are bad signs. And if those trends continue, you know, yeah, it's, things aren't, aren't looking great, but to declare it over, it's like, you know, look where we're at now. You know, does anybody at this point, those same people who were saying that a year ago, do they still feel like the dynasty is over? Now they might have the opinion. I think we need to wait and, and see what happens this year. Uh, but at the same time, they're recruiting at the, you know, this is like the, the fourth time in the Nick Saban era that they currently have six five-star prospects committed in, in this recruiting class. You're talking about just the way that they're recruiting. This is going to end up being one of their best recruiting classes of all time. You're talking about a lot of people are thinking that this might, if the defense continues to show improvement, the kicking game has been solved. Uh, you know, this might end up being the most complete best team in, in Alabama history. I don't know if I'm willing to go that far yet, but you know, there are some elements there and it's certainly trending in that direction with the way that they're beating, you know, good teams, especially in an all sec season, but it's just, there, there's nothing this season that has happened to make you think anything slowing down. So I just think that everybody likes to get ahead of themselves and, and, you know, we'll kind of have to see, but at the same time, LSU, you know, who knows what's going to happen uh, this weekend. I'm not going to – I never like – and I know last week you, you know, or maybe it was a couple of weeks ago with the Kentucky. I was Kentucky, but it was, you know, I'm not going to say 100% sure that Alabama's going to win. I don't like – you know, if I say 100%, I want to be, you know, it to be 100%. Like there's no possible way. Otherwise, I'm a 99.99% sure kind of guy. Uh, but – you know, I, it, all signs are pointing to a massive victory for Alabama, and you know it's it. We'll kind of have to see how interesting the game actually ends up being. But I think that you made a great point before in stating that one of the interesting aspects of this game could just be 
you know, Alabama kind of, if they do, if they did take last year really personally, and they're kind of taking it out on LSU and you're kind of just witnessing, not just a scoreboard beat down, but them just punishing, you know, like it seemed like Alabama against Auburn was just punishing them. You know, the defense was hitting harder than I've seen them hit all year. And it just seemed like there was more there than just, you know, it being the iron bowl. And it's, it's a big rivalry game. Maybe it was for Nick Saban. Maybe it wasn't really a revenge thing. Maybe it was just, you know, they wanted to to kind of show out for the coach that wasn't able to be there. Who's kind of gotten them to this point. And maybe that was the factor, but either way, I think that it's going to take, you know, that kind of storyline to make this game interesting to watch for anybody that's not an Alabama fan. I'll go ahead and put it in a hundred percent. I'm, 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 I'm confident enough in, in that. I know you won't, but I will. 100% chance that Bama beats LSU. Um, shall we go ahead and do the record book update yes. before we send the people off? Okay. I'm, I'm going to save the Devontae Smith stuff for last because he takes forever. He's he's very close to a lot of things. Um, Najee Harris is 52 and 54 yards away from TJ Yeldon and Kenneth Darby for fifth and fourth in career rushing yards in school history. Both of those, I mean, it seems somewhat likely that he'll, uh, he'll thus be crawling himself into the top five in, in school history and career rushing yards. And he's 150 rushing yards away from Bobby Humphrey for third in, in school history. So seems pretty likely that he'll get to the top five and with a big game, he could get into the top three in school history and career rushing yards. Rushing touchdowns, it's going to take a little more work. He is four touchdowns away from third in school history for career rushing touchdowns. That record owned by – or third is owned by Sean Alexander. Five away from joining the Mark Ingram and Derrick Henry tie for the school record in career rushing touchdowns. So uh, getting there, but uh, unlikely to get there against LSU again. Could, could be wrong on that one. Uh, moving on to Mac Jones. 260 passing yards would help him pass Jalen Hurts, John Parker Wilson, A.J. McCarron's 2012 season, and Greg McElroy to move up to fifth in school history in single season passing passing yards. He's currently ninth and would need just 260 yards to move him up to fifth. That seems pretty likely based on what he's done all year long. He would need 382 passing yards to get up to Jake Coker's 2015 season for third in single se- in single season school history. There's a few hundred yards between that and Blake Sims for, for second. So I think the number that Alabama fans need to know for Mac Jones is 382. If he gets there, he'll get up to third in school history for single season passing yards. He might not do a ton of movement on the single season passing touchdowns list, He's currently tied for sixth. He needs five touchdowns to move up to the tie for fourth. Uh, so he'll get there soon and, and very well could end up in the top three uh, in single season passing touchdowns history, even if he falls a little bit short of Tua's school record. Uh, so he's, he's close to some movement there, but it would take something uh, remarkable to, to actually move up a spot on that list against LSU. And now we get to Devontae Smith. Buckle up, folks. This is going to take a while. (laughs) He is 280 receiving yards shy of Amari Cooper's school record for career receiving yards. 280. He could get that this weekend. (laughs) Possible. Not likely, but possible. Uh, Four receptions away from tying DJ Hall for third in school history. In career receptions, there's a, a, a gap between second and first. We'll revisit that after the LSU and the Arkansas game. So, Single season receptions already passed his total from last year, which that is just insane to me. They played 13 games last year. They've played eight this year, and he's already passed his reception 72 right now. He had 68 last year. His 72 right now is tied for fifth in school history for single season receptions. He's five behind Jerry Judy for fourth. Six behind Julio for third, and again, a ways behind second and first. We'll revisit that in a couple weeks. Touchdowns. Not going to get the NCAA record. It is currently 60, set by Jarrett Dillard of Rice. Smitty only has 35. So he's not going to get there unless he shocks the world and comes back since the free year of eligibility, right? Which, please, God, don't do not do that, Devontae. Go get your money, man. 
Um, but it, what you need to know is that in the next two weeks, Devontae Smith is likely to either get into or be just on the edge of the top 20 in NCAA history and career receiving touchdowns. We'll update that going into the SEC championship game. Doing that would also have him flirting with the school record for single-season receiving touchdowns. He currently has 12. The record is Amari Cooper's 16 in 2014, so four away from tying the record there. So to wrap all of this up, in the next two weeks, Devontae Smith has a shot at breaking the school record for career receiving yards, likely to break into the top three in career receptions and single-season receptions, likely going to tie or possibly break the school record for single-season receiving touchdowns and work his way into or near the top 20 in NCAA history in career receiving touchdowns. No big deal. No big deal at all. And <laughs> just that's – I'm that's, out of breath, Clint. I'm out of breath. That is absolutely wild that uh, – I don't know. I just – every time I think about Devonte Smith and what he's been able to achieve from a record standpoint and just a statistical standpoint, I understand there's a lot of these Alabama receivers that stick around for three years and they're gone. Totally understand that he's been here for four. Uh, you know, that makes things, you know, a, a little bit more favorable to him, but at the same time, look at, just look at the competition that he's had to fight for for targets and catches not that he's actually fought it uh they're very selfless receivers all of them really but just the amount of mouths that Alabama has had to feed because you're still talking about successful running backs that they've had with Josh Jacobs Damian Harris Bo Scarborough um you know Najee Harris it's just it's been super impressive what that group as a whole has been able to do but for Devontae Smith to be sitting there at the top of it uh, is is nothing short of incredible. So glad we got those updates. I'm sure we'll continue to do those as some of those records start to fall, which I guarantee you, uh, barring injury or any kind of unforeseen circumstances, you know, a lot of them are going to start falling relatively soon. But Brett, I appreciate you giving us an update on that. I think this has pretty much got us covered. Uh, yeah, you know. and, and and by the way, I, I can't get to every single one of them, or, or I, I don't, I couldn't last week because there was a lot going on. But I try to update those record lists on TideSports.com whenever movement is made. So if you're if you're following me on Twitter, I'm tweeting out the links during the game, and I'm updating them during the game. So when someone does make a move up one of those lists, I'm I'm going to be able to update it most of of the time if it gets. Later in the game, and I'm having to fight the print deadline. I might not be able to do it in like the fourth quarter, say. But when someone does make a move up one of those lists, most of the time I'm able to to update it. So if you follow me on Twitter at Brett underscore Hudson, or you keep up with TideSports.com during the game, you'll be able to find those lists updated during the game as it as it happens. All right. Well, that's gonna do it. For yet another episode of the Bambi Podcast brought to you by Homefield Apparel and Wickles Pickles. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.